Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will bring you an inspiring person to help you improve in all areas of your life. We'll be chatting with friends old and new who have incredible stories and experiences to share. We'll be listening to some of their obstacles and how they've shown resilience to overcome them. Each episode should give you value and influence and inspire you to your greatness. Okay, we are live. Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. We are on episode number 13 and I'm delighted to say I'm actually super excited for this podcast myself. Uh, I'm joined by probably one of the best salesmen I know around and I've learned a lot off myself and not just sales, but uh, probably everyday growth and business. Uh, Sean McGarity, welcome to the podcast. What about you, Tom? You well? How are we? Um, Sean, if that wasn't too much for an introduction, would you... Tell us what you're doing today, and then we'll go back a little bit. So tell us a little bit about where you're at today and what your business at, and a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, I'll say thank you very much for bringing me on. And I always love to have people come and bring me some nice coffee, especially from Burr. <laughs> so thanks very much for that, Tom. You're welcome. But um, what do I do now? Well, I we have a couple of fitness businesses, myself and Jason Keane, um, which I started here in 2011 down in Dublin after being a personal trainer for about a year. Um, and way before that... Um, I learned everything that I do today, I suppose, in the motor trade, which I was in from 17 years old till 29. So, the, like, a lot, what I do is sales and marketing. That's really what I do. Just now, today, instead of selling cars, my product is fitness in many different forms and varieties, whether that's helping people, like, with their own fitness journey, you know, in the gym, because we have impact strength and performance, or... It's educating people so that they can use fitness as the tool to impact other people's lives and therefore make a career for themselves. So that's that's what I do, you know, now. The product is fitness, but the marketing and sales elements of uh, what I've learned my whole life are exactly the same. And Sean, just to go back, um, where's the accent from? Where did you grow up? <laughs> Belfast, mate. And did... You always... Did you get sales from a family member? Is it something you love doing or were you just always a people person? Well, no, I've, like going back, I, I was a kid growing up with a family who were very entrepreneurial. Like my father was a guy called Harold McGarity, who was the first dude to actually sell a Honda on this island. He was the dude who brought Honda cars to the island. Um, he bought 50 Honda Zeds at a motor show. This is like, I know this to be true, from a guy called Masamichi Hayashida at the motor show in Belfast um, in the King's Hall. And the, the, the Japanese guy was like, are you serious? You want to take 50 of these things? They're all yellow. They were all fucking wow. yellow. And I was like, yes, I'm taking 50 of them. So that was that was how that started. So I grew up in that environment where my two brothers were well on their way to be millionaires in you know, car sales. My dad was the person who was the driving force behind all that, who uh, built a massive Honda dealership, the biggest in Ireland. Then we, you know, throughout the years, I was brought into that environment um, and shown exactly how to sell, what marketing was, basically how to make shit happen, how to produce, yeah. you know? So everyone around me as I grew up had that skill. So for for me, like to be true, like totally honest, I thought everyone could do that. Like, because we just live by a code. Like from the age of 17, I was basically taught this. As soon as a dude's foot hits the first tile of the dealership, you three minutes in which to introduce yourself, show that you're a person of interest, qualify the customer, show him the product fits his needs, walk him through the finance, get a test drive, and then ask for the business. That's how you sold cars, and you just done that every single day. And Sean, what was Belfast like in that time? Like, was it rough and like you were out getting it after it with your father and learning all these things? But what was it like growing up then? 
It was a wee bit mad. Like going back, one of the earliest memories I have of the the first place I lived in, which was it was um, Summit Road, which is North Belfast. My dad had a, a dealership there called Hillview, which he just built. It was three years old, and it was in a, an enterprise zone, which he had to stay in for five years to get like some sort of tax efficiencies and benefits at the time, because it was a development zone. You know, it was prioritized for development. Um, and it was a massive facility. It was an acre and a half. It was beautiful. It was brand spanking new. This thing, he put a lot of money in it. Um, and I was only seven years old when I watched it burn to the ground because, well, the, the cops never really went after who did it. But, you know, the word on the street was it was the IRA that bombed it because they were trying to extort my father and he wouldn't pay the money. So that was crazy, watching that, the whole dealership burn to the ground. Million and how did that people. affect your father or was he... Just get up and go again, or we had to leave. Yeah, we left the area. So basically, what happened was I, we had to leave because, like, my dad decided he was going to sell the house where he was living. It was too dangerous around there, and um, it was a really turbulent time. Our house, like that original house we was in, was blown up twice because the hotel behind the house um, was a target. The Lansdowne Court Hotel. It was a target for the IRA, so they they blew it up twice and blew like parts of our house apart <laughs> in the process of it because it was directly behind our house. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. Like there was there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, I remember even when I was a couple of years younger that the IRA tried to extort him for money as well, and they said they were going to execute everybody in the family starting with the youngest. And like I can remember my sisters telling me, "Look, we're going to play this game. We're going to hide along. We're going to crawl along the floor." And I was going, "Why are we doing this? We're closing all the curtains because a call had come through to say that they'd seen like a lens flash or a lens fl- that looked like somebody was somebody had a, a rifle of some sort with a with a scope." Wow. And Sean. It sounds like your your father had an amazing resilience. Did is that a trait you you'd say you'd be good with, whether it's business or life today? Fuck, I don't know. I'm a flaky bastard, Tom. <laughs> I wish I wish it could be as resilient as him. Like he basically watched that place burn to the ground, moved house, and built another dealership within a year. We were selling cars out of porter cabins on the Boucher Road. Um, as and back then, Sean, was car sales big, or was it a new thing, or people were only getting cars, or? Well, like if we're going to go deep into the history of cars, like when my dad was originally buying cars, they were appreciating in value. Okay. So because of the market forces, supply and demand, there weren't enough cars to fulfill the demand. So if you had a car and you'd bought it for five grand, it could be worth six grand next year because there weren't, there wasn't the production to meet the demand basically. So those economic forces meant that they were appreciating in value, whereas now cars depreciate in value. And I remember, I didn't understand at the time, but my dad was going, we need to get out of this game because cars are depreciating in value. This isn't correct. You know, the way he knew the market wasn't the way the market was in, in those days. But, um, no, he was he was super resilient and he was brilliant at... His biggest skill was being a people person. Like, he he was incredible at servicing and, and, and like, working on cars. Um, and he just happened to be shit hot at selling them, too. And the reason, Sean, I asked that is I've heard you say before, especially with your own kids, you, you try and teach them to maybe fail, but fail fast and learn from it and just move on. Because yeah, sometimes... Right. In failure, people stop and get stuck. Yep. Um, so, Sean, go back to your first day. You're on the sales floor. You're in the Honda garage or in the Porta cabin. Tell me what that experience is like. Well, it was crazy for me because, like like you said, my dad really did have a hard work ethic. I was holding the hose and washing cars from the age I could basically do it. And I loved that job. I was a car validator. But when I got to the age of 17, my dad asked me, would I like to try car sales? Um. And I would never have done it up until then because... And were you shy at that stage or yeah. did you come out of your shell or... Yes. Before that, you see, like, and this this is really why I get into fitness, I suppose, because I was a really, really fat kid growing up. Like, I just found comfort in food and at myself into the point where I was like 12 stone 
and I was in seriously bad shape. Like, and one something clicked one day, and I, I just decided to get into fitness. I decided I was going to take responsibility for this shit. I was going to change things around. I started training, started looking after my dad, and asked my brother for help. And two years later, I'm 17 years old, and when my dad asked me that question, the old Sean, the fat Sean, who had like a load of insecurities, no self-esteem, like no belief in himself, um, and hid behind food and that sort of thing for comfort, he would never say it, yeah, but the dude that was standing in front of him that year was like, fuck yeah, give me a go with this thing. And um, yeah, at the end of that summer, I sold enough cars to buy my first house at the age of 18. I bought a, I bought a house in Northampton because I was going to university. And this is the other thing that my brothers taught me. It's like, look, it's not about selling cars. It's like what that equity and that cash gives the ability to do. So they were showing me like, you really need to learn how to make passive income. So the, the things that my brothers were teaching me, like one of the first books my brother ever gave me was Rich Dad Poor Dad at the age of 17. He said, read that book. And by the end of reading the book, I had sold a load of cars and I had a load of money. And he said, what do you think you want to do with the money? And I was like, I need to get in a property like Robert T. Kiyosaki says. Mm. And he says, yes, you're right. Let me show you how. So my brother, Nigel, started to mentor me and show me how to actually really make money. And that's when things really took a shift because... You know, yes, of course it was scared. I mean, anybody going into sales who hasn't heard the word no, you know, a couple hundred times, you're going to be shitting yourself about that. I mean, that that is the biggest thing that holds people back. It's like, what am I going to do when I walk up to this guy and I'm trying my best and he tells me no, or I stumble over my words or I mix myself up, you know, and you build this movie in your head that is, you know, well, it works out really shit for you. <laughs> and he's probably laughing at you and then all the rest of the showroom can hear and see that you failed, and that's when you take a drop in status, and you're like, ooh. And that story, that movie that we create about these things in the future that haven't happened yet, are the things that become like a, a chain of false beliefs. And Sean, did that transition happen easy? So you and your brothers were obviously running the garage then. Did your father yeah. take a step back, and how long did that journey last for you? So from i was 17 until i was 26 it was me and my two brothers and my dad and in 2006 he contracted cancer well he had cancer for a long time he was just diagnosed he had lung cancer and it was getting pretty severe and that's at the point where he decided look i've i've done enough of this and he wanted to hand it over to us so at this stage we're running a business that's doing 25 million a year you know that that's what the turnover was we then at this stage um i'm i'm dealer principal of a, a, a garage in uh, in in um, London Derry or Derry wherever you're from, <laughs> so like Campsie Business Park's probably the best place to say it, it was in Campsie Agnington. So I'm I'm running a dealership up there trying to turn it around because it was losing a lot of money. And really, the plan that we had was right. We've got this property, which is worth four and a quarter million. Let's sell this. Um, we can retreat the end of the Campsie Business Park, run business out of there. And we were going to roll the money in, pay my dad 50% of the share because he was a 50% shareholder. That could mean he could, he could have the cash and the equity to just exit. Um, we could then take our share, put it into a massive development for 98 houses for the DSD back in the time. And that was going to be our exit strategy out of that. And then we could use the Camp C place to, you know, fund our lifestyle with, you know, car sales and stuff because we would have... I feel there's a boat coming. Well, <laughs> this was one of the biggest deals. Like the biggest sale in my life was that four and a, half, four and a quarter million property. Because we, we did it, it was quite an intricate sale. I'm not going to go into it because it's yeah. very, very detailed and in-depth. But we basically sold this guy a, a, a property investor called Michael Herbert, who owned like the largest Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise and chain in, in Ireland at the time. And this was a dude who was a shrewd operator. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm 26 years old, sitting in a boardroom with this guy, trying to negotiate deals. And he has like eight 
lawyers and five accountants, you know, a team of suits with them. Yeah. It, like if you can picture, do you know one of them movies where you see in Hollywood where they're having like the, the annual general meeting? Yeah. A big massive table and a fireplace at the end of it and shit. And there's a guy who's like calling the shots. Well, that was fucking Michael Herbert. And I'm going, holy shit. Like, you know, so like, which was incredible looking back because to have that opportunity and that experience, I mean, you could not buy that. There is no course that will teach that. So being part of that deal and being part of all of that stuff growing up and, and the lessons and things that I've learned just through osmosis of being there and being part of the action was just uh, you, unrepeatable. You couldn't get it. And seeing guys like that, Sean, and obviously growing a business, and did you always have that passion to want more or to be better? It, well, do you know what? It, it, it's not like, it's not the money that drives me. It's Do you know when there's a seal on the table? It's like, having an intricate puzzle that you want to solve like and getting the yes is when you've got the solution yeah so hearing that word yes is for me is better than fucking anything i really don't give a shit about the money whether it's a four and a half million seal or it's a 200 euro gym membership hearing the yes figuring out that puzzle like solving that and getting it to the, it's the feel solution. isn't it it's a feel yeah. It's unreal that that for me is just like that is the best so that deal being part of that and and you know the plan that we had seemed like, you know, at the age of 27, I was going to retire a millionaire. You know, my brothers were going to have everything and we'd worked so hard for it. Like we had worked incredibly hard to get to this point. My dad, you know, was providing the environment for it and, and giving us because he could see the vision we had. And then um, I suppose when you remember the global financial crisis, well, that's when I kind of went tits up. So like it went from, we were driving around in Bentley Continental GTs. We had Porsche 911s, Humvees. You know, like imagine the lifestyle. You know, it was, yeah. it was mayhem. 25 million pound a year is a lot of turnover. That funds a crazy lifestyle. And when you get used to that and then you see it all flush down the toilet, like literally overnight, I'll never forget the meeting we went into and the, the official who was there to sign the deal sign off on our deal for the 98 houses for the Department of Social Development, which was going to make us four and a half million. Mm. So we were basically going to turn two million. We we're going to double that. So we were all, like the three guys, me and the, the three amigos were going to split this. Yeah. And uh, they basically said, we no longer have an appetite for this, Mr. McGarry. Because, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had fell, which was the original Financial Trade Institute that was basically underwriting the whole of the American subprime mortgage category of seals. And they failed in Lehman Brothers. All, uh, and as they say, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. And that's exactly what we were watching. And where were we at then? What was... Like that bubble being popped must have been massive. Yeah, uh, like we, we didn't know what to do. I mean, it was, imagine somebody's just hit the reset button on you. Like that's exactly what happened. So it went from us riding the crest of a wave, having two and a half million invested into the property where we're going to get four and a half out the other end. It turned upside, upside down with the banks calling in their loan and they're asking us for 1.5. So like we were at the roulette table and we went all in. We went fucking all in and lost. So that is basically high you know the that that massive crest of a wave just you know crashed and is that when fitness came sean or how did you end up in dublin how did you end up in dublin fucking hell well i'm sitting in Derry and i'm looking at my bank account and i'm realizing that in about nine months i will have no money no house no car and basically the shirt in my back like that's what i'm looking at i'm, I'm doing my own cash flow forecast and realizing that i can no longer afford to pay the mortgage in the house that I live in. I don't have any income. I have no plan on how to create some. And the maddest thing about it was I just met a girl about, you know, 11 months previous and she was pregnant 
and I'm about to have a baby on the so not only am I gonna fail as a business person, but I'm gonna have a wee son or daughter and I have no idea how to support or create some sort of environment for security for them. So it was And John, just on that, I'm cutting across you here now because yeah. I really want to get into it. What was your self talk like then? Because when I'm talking to you now, your energy you can feed off it, it's positive and it's gecko energy. But what was it like then? Exactly the fucking same. It was like I will figure a way out of this. There is a way out of this. Like I, I didn't sit there drowning in my sorrows or any of that shit. But I knew what I definitely didn't want to do, and it wasn't. It was not going to be cars. Okay. I, I basically asked myself this question because, and this is one of the things I remember. My dad always used to say to me, and I didn't understand what he meant until too late in life. But he said, if you can figure out how to make your hobby your job, you'll never work a day in your life. Right now, maybe that's something that he said or he heard that. I don't know. I don't know who said it at first, but when he told me, it, I was like. Make your hobby your job. Fuck is he talking about? But that's exactly what he did. You know, when he finished working on cars all day, and he would have went in at fucking half seven in the morning, finished at half six at night, he would have came home for his dinner, at his dinner in the house, and walked out into the garage that we had in the house and started to rebuild classic cars. So when he wasn't like that wasn't work for him. You know what I mean? Like, Passion, yeah. He just fucking loved doing that. So he had cars that he was tinkering around with, rebuilding from scratch, bolting up re refurbishments, you know? And he did it better than anybody I've ever seen. And that's what he did. That's what he did. He would have done that to one o'clock in the morning, and then the next morning he would have been straight up for work and bang, ready to fix somebody's car. You know, he just loved. He was a mechanic. He just loved mechanics, which is crazy because I am shit, Tom. I couldn't. I, I like fixing stuff in the house. I'm shit. I wreck more stuff than I can build. You know, which is weird. But and it wasn't until I was that age and was trying to figure out, and I, I was asking myself the question. What the fuck would I do if I wasn't in cars? I'm not saying I didn't make the best of the opportunity. You know, I did. I did the best I could with the opportunity was given. But is that what Sean McGarry would have done? And the answer was no. I would have done something in fitness, which is crazy because. And you were on your weight loss journey at the, at the time. Now you oh, train and then you're yeah. Oh, like because I never stopped training from. I started training at 15 when that that sort of switch flicked in my head when I said I need to take responsibility for this, and I never stopped. I started and what type of training, John? Martial arts or was it weights or? Started off with weights and running and that kind of stuff. Then get into martial arts. Loved kickboxing. Um, loved Muay Thai. Wasn't ever good enough to fight Muay Thai though. Um, went to university. Did a lot of kickboxing over there and training over there. Uh, and when I came home, my sister picked me up from the airport and she goes, what are you going to do? And I says, do you know what, Martina? I'd love to open a gym. She goes, you should. Do not go into the garage. Go and open a gym, Sean. But I really love my brothers and I love working with them and I, I, I ended up getting into car sales and the rest will I've just described. But I always trained. Like before work, I was in the gym training and then after work, I was going kickboxing for a, a club called Pro Kick up in Belfast and I just loved that and I never stopped training. I was the dude in the lunchroom when the rest of the salesmen are eating chips and fish and burgers and stuff and I'm eating my chicken salad and they're like dude are you on a diet I'm like no this is just the way I eat do you know and then after a while of them laughing at you six months later when they've put on a load of weight they're like here could you like tell me how to like lose some weight I've put on it and I'd be like yeah of course so like I just love helping people out with that I never ever considered that it could be something you could make a career in until I'm sitting there and like there is nothing I'm trying to grasp around it what the fuck is real here in my life it wasn't money because I had money and now I have none and like it was the the wife that uh, the girl who's now my wife and my, my son it was like this is this shit's real and i need to figure this out but i want to make sure that i wake up every day happy going to work if you know i could do that what what would i actually do every single day for free 
and the thing that kept coming back and all the people were telling me as we were shutting the dealership down and closing up the like as it was just going out of business they were going you should be a personal trainer i'm like are you fucking serious a personal trainer like yeah do you remember you helped me lose remember you used to take me to the gym do you remember we used to train together you've done that for like two years with me i lost all the weight and all and there were loads of people who were coming back with these stories that had helped through the whole car trade the years of being in the car trade so was it open a gym uh in belfast or was it come to dublin or what was i, I didn't even have any idea or vision of that at all i just knew well, that is actually right now what I can control, and the thing I need to figure out is how the hell do I get into the fitness? How do you do this? Like, I would love this. I would love to be in fitness. I'd love to be part of somebody's fitness journey. If I could like help people with what I know, so that they can like overcome whatever their thing was, like me, that that, that little fat kid, like who figured out how to you know take control of his own fitness, and what that allowed me to achieve. You know, now what we what we talk about an impact is like fitness is kind of like a domino that when you knock it over. It has the ability to pour over and impact all these other areas of your life in a positive way. And that's what I wanted to share with people because it had the same thing in me. Had I never started fitness, I would never have said yes to my dad that day in car sales. Had I not done that, well, the whole events that I've just described would have never taken place. And had that whole eventuality never taken place, I would never have sat down and said, I'm getting into fitness. And then when I got into fitness, something really weird happened because the first day I walked into a commercial gym, I looked at the gym and went, oh, fuck this is just a showroom. And I realized that every single person walking around there was just like the people that I'd watched walk around for 14 years in the motor trade. They were looking to buy cars in the showroom. Nobody goes to a car dealership to look around like they were wanting to buy a car. People in the gym are looking to get their fucking fitness goals. But the problem is 90% of them don't have a clue how to do it. And I realized that I had something, I had knowledge, information, skills, abilities that I could share with those people that had to help them get the results. But I also looked at, there was a dude standing there looking at the same thing I was looking at. And what was going through my head was the code. You have three minutes in which to introduce yourself, show your, you know, that. And then close the fucking business. I'm like, who am I going to, who is my target here? Who is the first person? And I remember turning to this guy and he was like, fuck me, look how busy it is in here. And he was like, no, 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 you don't get it. See, that guy over there, he, he's been a member of this gym for 10 years. And he's never took personal training off anyone. And that girl, well, she just does a circuit of these machines. And this guy, he trains with Will and he's just... He pointed out everybody that was in the gym that day and told me a story as to why he didn't need to approach him or talk to him. I remember looking at that dude going, fuck me, man, you wouldn't last three minutes in the world I come from. And, then and I that like, was his story. That was his that story. That was his story. That was his story. I don't need to talk to him because he does this. That the one, you know, and like if you look at any gym and you're there long enough, you do, you get to see the creatures of, of habit in their natural habitat and the things that they do. Yeah. But I was like, who's that guy? You said that guy's been a member. Yes, that's Paul. He's been a member of the gym for 10 years and he's never taken personal training with anyone. And I walked straight up to that dude and within, I'd say, six minutes had shook his hand and confirmed like two, twice a week personal training with him. Right? I don't need to go into the exact discussion and exactly what I said because like, you know, that's for another day. <laughs> but uh, I closed that guy right there on the gym floor and I looked over at your man and he was shit. Like he, jaw open, like, what the fuck have I just, what happened there? And I just did that every day. Like, you know, this is the thing. The stuff that I have been taught, I just, that was, that wasn't even, I didn't even believe that was a skill because yeah. everyone in my environment, like we used to sell 75 grand cars over the phone. Mm. The biggest sale in my life is 4.5 million. This is just talking to you, dude, and helping mm. him. It was nothing to me, but it was everything to him. And he was like, how the fuck did you do that? And then I realized, shit, if personal trainers actually knew how to market and sell themselves, like this stuff that I take for granted, if I could share this with enough fitness professionals, and remove the biggest obstacle that most of them have. You know, they think seals is dirty. I'll be shit at it. That movie that's going to happen. Yeah. If I can remove that from them, how many more people could they help? How much more of an impact could they have? 
and how many more clients could they actually service? Could they, you know, could they change somebody's self-confidence, their inner belief? Of course they can. Can they change how somebody looks? Can they change like their, you know, their, their confidence, their self-esteem, all that? Of course they can. So I was like, fuck, if only they could see it the way I see it. I, those guys could help so much. They could help so many more people. They could have a bigger impact. And they could have all of the financial security and independence that they need to actually sustain a business and fitness. So what happened, Sean, then from UPT and the commercial gym? What was next then? Next was like I got to the point where I was doing 44 sessions a week. I couldn't do any more. And then I had a, a bigger vision in mind. I wanted to educate. And I knew a girl uh called lois who actually owned an educational facility and um she approached me and she said sean listen i've watched what you've done you know you we've known we'd known each other a long time she owned a, a company called leisure industry academy and she said you know what I, I want you've been asking me how to be a tutor for kettlebells and all these things. i want to talk to you about an opportunity and she came to me and she sat me down and she said look there's a place called you know dublin right it's in southern ireland and i'm going yeah and here's the thing, we have the potential for someone to take a leisure industry academy to Dublin and run it. And I, I was like, well, I need to see the figures. And she says, well, I'm very glad you asked that. I said, look, I need to see the financials. Let me see the financials, which was something I'm very used to looking at. And when I looked at the opportunity, I was like, there needs to be some, why would I walk down to Dublin and take on competition that's been there 25 years? She said, well, here's your competitive advantage. They're going reps accredited next year. And none of them have education that's reps accredited. Only you will, because we're going to give you it. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm all in. So there was an opportunity, but there was a, a, a like a unique competitive advantage that I was given that made this like, right, okay, this is a goer. Like. So it took me nine months of planning while I was still personal training, um, shooting down to Dublin, shooting back up, telling nobody anything about it, just keeping very, very quiet about it, till we figured everything out, started viewing properties and came down and launched my first gym actually a month after my dad passed away in 2011. So all that shit was going on in the background. Um, um, but like the vision was the vision, and I had to do it. And was it a success straight off, Sean? Or tell me about coming into Dublin and it sucked. So at the start, um, nobody knew who I was. Like I had to go to a bank and convince them in the middle of a recession that I was a good shout to lend money to launch a gym in a time when they believed the personal training was going backwards and it was a luxury that no one would would pay for. So I had to go in and convince a bank, which is a financial institution that will lend you money when you can convince them that you don't actually need it. So there was a pitch. I had to pitch them that this was a good idea. Um, needless to say, that worked. Um, and I went into the meeting. Absolutely. That, in, in those kinds of meetings, from the Honda, the Seat, and the Kia training. That, that experience. It, that was fucking nothing to me. Like we used to go and I negotiated for one and a half million of an overdraft with a bank before. So walking in and asking for like, you know, beer money was easy, <laughs> you know, but that would have frightened a lot of people because maybe they weren't used to that, that kind of environment. And um, so convinced the dude, like I was a good shout and then just came down to Dublin with very little equipment in a, in a gym, which for the first year I had to sleep on the floor of like literally lay down on a sleeping bag and slept on the fucking floor. And, delivered every single course myself. So I was the only tutor, the only salesperson, and the only marketer. And that was for the first 12 months. And then, you know, as I started to get more known and started to get courses out there, I started to have interactions and build a network of people that I thought, right, I can I can share my vision with these people. And then quickly started to assemble a team around me of dudes better than me in the areas that I needed help in so that we could create which is, well, create what has become the vision of what Elite Fitness and Performance Academy is now. And Sean, just on that, you're at the, I wouldn't say glossing over, but that's huge. People taking that sacrifice to, do you know what? I don't need to rent somewhere else. I'm going to sleep on the gym floor and yeah. make this happen. 
you talk about a vision. How much are you into visualization and know the end goal? A lot. Well, and the other thing is you're in a vision when the other vision is real shit. So let me tell you how shit it was. I was in Derry when I told you and I had to move back into a house which um, I was on the dole. Like I, I had to go and collect the dole. Now, take that from a dude who handed in a Bentley Continental GT, right? And a Porsche 911, silver, beautiful 996. <laughs> and uh, he hands that in and he goes and he stands in the dole queue. So I was like, this is fucking shit. What I will do anything to get the fuck out of this mess. And like when I was in Dublin, Vida was living in a socially affordable housing because it was the only thing I could use to, to st- like it was the only thing I could do to, to, to make things better. Mm. So going down to Dublin and sleeping on the floor of a gym was fucking nothing because in my mind, like success was not only possible, it was probable, it was it was impossible not for this to happen. I believed in the competitive advantage and the education that we could give to personal trainers that was going to make it a game changer for them. So the only thing I was thinking about was not really like the money or, or anything. It was like when I, I knew in my mind that this information, the education that was that was going to be elite fitness and performance academy was going to change the way fitness was done in Ireland. And as soon as we did that and people started to recognize this was going to give personal trainers a serious edge because it was not only going to give them a proper personal training course, in my opinion, it was going to give them the sales and marketing experience that they needed from somebody who had fine-tuned it over you know decades. And Sean, on that point, like, did you get a lot of hate? Because I know the fitness industry is yep. quite fickle. Did you get a lot of shit off other people, or what was it like? Tons of it. Yep. Um, Who's this guy coming down from the north, thinking he is educating people, or? Well, it, it was more the other training providers tried to get me uh, thrown out, tried to get me disbanded from reps, wrote letters about me saying that I curse, which is true. <laughs> I do curse because I curse in real life. You know, I, I don't have like a persona I put on and pretend to be this guy who has his shit together on the internet. You know, it's Monday, pretend you've got your shit together. You know, that's that's Facebook for you. No, I, I curse, I say fucking shit and all that stuff, and I have done since my, because of the environment I grew up in. You can imagine the motor trade. Mm. We broke words up to get sticking fuck in the middle of them. Know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, I'm used to that. That's the way I talk. And that rustled a few feathers. They're like, he's so unprofessional. I'm like, you know, I don't care about your opinion of me. What I care about is giving people the knowledge, tools, skills, and ability that allows them to turn their passion for fitness into profession. And I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. And if I'm passionate about something, yeah, a few F-bombs slip out because I'm really into this. I believe in this. And I'm not watching the way I speak. I'm speaking, you know, from the heart, if you want to put it like that. Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm putting it all on the line because I think the only way to do it is to go all in. So yeah, they wrote letters about us, tried to get us fired out, tried to um, like just attack our credibility or professionalism, everything. They tried all that shit, but it didn't work. And Sean, you mentioned earlier uh, Jason Kane. Yep. And obviously someone you're in business with now today. Yep. Talk to me about what you're actually doing today. You your education, you have a gym, and then you have other uh, elite franchises. Talk to me a little yep. bit about that. So basically myself and Jason then put our heads together and he had the elements that I didn't have. Yes, I'm great at marketing. Yes, I'm great at sales. But the fulfillment end, like, you know, coaching, that dude is exceptional. In my opinion, I'd say he's the best in Ireland I've seen in terms of his knowledge, his programming ability, his delivery. And he's, in, he's a cracking dude at building a team. He's, he's awesome. So like he had the skills, the complementary skills um, that I needed to create what was the vision of Elite. Um, so together we've made Elite, well, uh, number one, I would say, training provider in Ireland. 
Um, we and have Sean, just got you some of the numbers on that. Like, talk to me about like some of the coaches that have come through Elite and stuff like that. Well, one of the first ones was Johnny Bruton, um, who is uh, running these. Go to a gym in Dublin and one in Cork. So he was the first dude I showed who how to sell personal training in Ireland, and he still has the very first client he closed in my facility that I was still sleeping on the floor of when he sold that guy. Um, and it was a very high ticket sale back in the day when everyone said you'll never sell year long PT it doesn't exist he sold year long PT to that guy and it still has that client today wow. <laughs> so Johnny Bruton's one two gyms today um, we've got even the earlier guys uh, Joey O'Shaughnessy who runs LinkedIn EMEA um, th- there's actually there's a t-shirt wall next door with about 50 dudes on there you've got Neil Dempsey you've got uh, who else now can I think of um, John T. Kenny um, Ray Moylet you know, there's been some really famous dudes through here too, some really cool guys. All the cool kids have went to Elite. I think uh, the one thing I like about your education thing is I think there's other educators out there, but I think you guys teach them, like, you have to have the business head, you have to have the marketing head, the sales head, because when I got into the fitness industry, I was like, I'll do it as a pastime the weekend and I'll be PT and I'll be doing this, but I was like, whoa, the amount of work that you've got to do. Yeah, fitness is one aspect of it, but there's so yep. many other aspects yep. to make it a business. Yeah. So, 100%. I suppose, Sean, what's next for you and Jason? Is it, you have elites around the country? Talk to me a little bit about that. We could, if we wanted to. I mean, this is the thing, though. We have a couple of priorities for next year within the company. We have a lot of interest from people who want to take on franchises because they see, and they believe in the vision, they believe in the why, they believe in why we're doing it. Like, we, we have um, Galway, we have Belfast there. The guys up in Belfast are absolutely killing it. John Lennon and Paddy Joe Black are deadly lads. Um, and we have potential for Cork next year, which would be meaning that like we've got all four corners of Ireland covered. That's a possibility. Um, but really what we want is we want the right partners because when you become part of the, the elite family, if you like, then you're going to be working very closely with us and... We want you to deliver the, the product and the material and the education exactly the way we can. So it's it's finding the right people to do business with is more important than, you know, any of the opportunity to do business. You know, of course, you go out tomorrow and get somebody who has the money to do it, but they have to be the right people. And Sean, just to go a little off center here now, but say someone's listened to the podcast who had maybe thought of getting into the fitness industry at some yep. stage. What advice would you give someone like that? If somebody's thinking about getting into the fitness industry, maybe working a nine to five, maybe wanting to get out of that and they have a little bit of passion for fitness or sport or exercise, what would you say? Gotcha. This is a question I get a lot, right? I mean, and the first thing I would say to give you an answer, I would have to answer with a question and say, well, why, like, why, why is now the right time to get into fitness? And like, why is it fitness? Like, of all the things you could pick, tell me why fitness is the thing that you're passionate about. Because look, you can do anything you want to make money, but fi- I, I really believe, and this goes back to my dad saying to me, like, when you figure out what your hobby is, you'll never work a day in your life. Don't jump into things just because there's an opportunity and there's money. Jump into it because you believe, fuck, I have a contribution to make here. And if I make this contribution, it could affect a lot of people in a positive way. So if that's why you're getting into fitness, if you believe that you have the ability to impact people in a positive way using fitness as the tool, and all you need is the knowledge, the tools, the skills, and the ability, and maybe a bit of support and guidance and direction from somebody who has done what you're now looking at doing, then I'd say, come to me and I'll show you how to fucking do it. But only if it's something you're super passionate about. Look, it's not easy. And I think a lot of the reason you're seeing so many people feel in fitness today is because on the face of it, it looks like she just threw some weights around a gym and drink protein drinks and Gymshark. 
fucking w- dude consider the possibility that you're talking shit the people who are making it in fitness today are seeing that it is a business they don't look they're not hobbyists they're business people and they're getting in it and they're playing at a business level and they will put you fucking broke so don't look at fitness and think it's just dead easy you just so it's, it's easy to rent a, a, a wee place here i can do that and say nah that is Whoa, there's you're you're really jumping in head first here without thinking about this. You need to look big picture. And Sean, I think even with social media these days, it can tell you a wrong story. People go, "Oh, this person's doing it, and they're training a couple of clients. Why don't I do that and jump into it?" But I think once again, the work that is involved in keeping clients, maintaining clients, getting new clients, whatever fitness business you're in, yep. it's huge. Yep. And that's one thing you're an advocate and you teach a lot of. Like I know I myself, I'm a part of your mastermind group and it's one of the best investments I've ever made. So Sean, you mentioned earlier, I'm conscious of time because I could talk to you for another hour now here. But will you talk? Well, we're on, we're on nearly coming up on 40 minutes now. Um, I'd love to talk to you about, you're obviously big on educating yourself um, with books and podcasts and mentors. Any advice, are there any recommendations on what you listen to or books you could advise for someone maybe that's trying to improve communication, sales, or marketing? Sure thing. Well, the first thing I just want to say to finish off that last conversation about the person, who, just because you could doesn't mean you should, right? So like, that's just the last thing I'll say on that thing. Because you could, you could do all those things. There is that guy and there is that girl and there is this, but just because you could doesn't mean you should. Is, is just the... Your why. Simon Zanuck, yeah, isn't it? it? Is. That's coming back down. 100%. Simon Sinek. Go and look at him. So, like, if you're talking about business books and you want direction and guidance, look, there's three areas you can work on in business. Marketing, which is turning visitors to your content into leads. That's what marketing does. Turns visitors to your content into leads, i.e. you get some information, like name, email, phone number. That's the job of marketing. So, if you're struggling on marketing because you can't get no fucking leads then i can advise some stuff but we need to know where your problem is if your problem is sales actually you can get leads but you can't actually close the cash so you've got these names emails mobiles but you're not actually getting dinero manchachos bacon in your sandwich money in your bank then you've got a problem with sales or if you can market and sell like i was able to do but people keep fucking leaving then you've got a problem in your fulfillment department so there's only three elements really in business marketing sales and fulfillment so then I would go back and say, well, if somebody's looking at marketing advice or they want to learn more about marketing, um, the dude who has taught everyone that I know, so look, there's a lot of great marketers. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I can guarantee you that any great marketer you know today has learned his skills from Dan Kennedy. No doubt. You know Dan Kennedy, right, Tom? And direct marketing. Yes, well. and it's, it's all direct response marketing. So yeah. if you are a business today and you are thinking like this, I want to build a brand, I think you're making a big fucking mistake. I would rather put so much money in the bank and build a brand as a side effect. And by I'm gonna say it sounds like I'm being a cold hard, you know, salesman now. Put money in the bank means that I've done I've given enough people what they want in life so that I've got everything I want in life in the words of Zig Ziglar. There's another guy you could look to for some marketing advice. One of the greatest motivational speakers that ever lived. Brand Tracy's another cracker. Um, they're all the old school dudes. I would say look look to those guys. Um, another guy I have a lot of respect for right now who, and this is, I'll give this one away, Ben Settle. Ben Settle is incredible. Uh, look him up on bensettle.com. You can get one of his newsletters for free and sign up for his daily emails. Guy makes six figures just send a daily email. Like that's, that's incredible. So they're, they're fantastic marketers, I would say. There could be, there's many, many more, many more. And Sean, is there a book that stands out to you that over the years you've gone back to and it's 
maybe it's fiction, maybe it's true story or a biography. Is there anything that you'd recommend to anyone listening? Marketing books. Marketing books, anything from Dan Kennedy. He's okay. written infinite numbers. Um, a cracking book, Oversubscribed, by Daniel Priestley. Uh, is a cracking book on marketing. Um, now, let me see. On sales, one that I've just read recently that I thought was very nice was Oren Claff, uh, Pitch Anything. It's It would be probably more um, applicable to your scene, mm. Tom, though, you know. Um, but it's got some very interesting concepts behind, like, the psychology and neurology of sales and why it works. Um, let me think. Anybody else? Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert T. Kiyosaki. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic, isn't it? It just, it, look, if you don't understand fina- or if you haven't been able to get a financial education, that's the place you're going to get it. It'll just make you view finances and business in a totally different light. It's, I'm actually reading my kids that at the minute. Yeah. At night. And Sean, <laughs> tell me that. Tell me the one thing. I, I actually, I, I think I saw it on social what you do with your uh, kids. Talk to me about the incentive you do when they read a book. Oh yeah, well, if when they read a book and they give me a book review, they like actually tell me the main parts of that book, and it's if, it, if it's a good book review, and I, I can tell that they've, they've actually read it all. They get five euros for every book they finish. I mean, so, are they as hungry as you for oh, that yeah, sale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they do. They visit the library and shit like that, which is like you know, they, they actually genuinely are really into. This isn't something like I'm trying to shove down their necks. Mm. You know, they they took an interest in reading books, and then I said, well, look, if you're going to read books, why? Not? I'll tell you what. You're educating yourself you're edu- because I, I told my son, Dario, one day because he kept asking me, how do you make money? I was like, do you know that you can read anything? You want to know there is a book on how to make money. Are you serious? I'm like, yeah. All you need to do is find it and read it. So that book's going to tell me everything I need to know, 100%. Because right now, that's that's really where he needs to be. And then some of the things to do with him, like uh, we had a yard sale with my kid, Carlos, one time, and um, he couldn't understand why nobody showed up to his yard sale. And then I said, well, how many people actually knew about this? You know, he was like, well... I, I run outside and I shouted at the top of my voice, and I'm having a yard sale. <laughs> and I went, okay, so only the people who could hear you. What about the people around the neighborhood? And he started to think about this, and I says, maybe we should do some marketing. And he was like, oh. <laughs> so I says, let's do up some flyers. You know, so I helped him do that. And when he seen me, he made like 100, 100 euros. When he seen the effect of that, like, uh, you know, we flicked, flicked the switch, flicks in their mind. You know, they're like, shit, this is pretty cool. I like this. So that got them down the whole route. So yeah, if they're educating themselves, I'll pay them to educate rather than pay them for menial jobs, which I do too. Um, it was funny. I was telling you this at the mastermind that I was writing an email one morning. I looked out the window and there was the two wee fuckers. It was like seven o'clock in the morning. It was still dark. And they were out with their ski jackets on and they were like raking up leaves and sticking them in the wheelbarrow because Vida said if she, if they'd done seven wheelbarrows, she would give them a fiver each. <laughs> so they were, they were reading books and <laughs> fucking raking up leaves to earn a few quid. So, but I think that's good. I think it's healthy. And Sean, we're just tapering off here now at the end. A couple of questions I kind of asked some of the guests is, um, what's the, now I'm trying to put you on the spot, but you've given some great nuggets so far. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Ooh. Now, you've given you some great ones that your father has passed on to you, yeah. but is there anything that sticks out that it's probably the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'd say it's, it's probably contained in this sentence, and there's a lot in it. Like, I mean, there's people less qualified than you doing what you wish you could simply because they chose to believe in themselves. So like if you're waiting for perfection, we all know that that time doesn't come like waiting for perfection. It's just, it's procrastination. So we, I think no matter what it is you want to do, you've got to stop waiting on perfection and you can't be waiting on permission from somebody like no one is ever going to give you permission. You know, and when you go and ask your friends and family for advice for things, like if I had to listen to my family, my own mother was telling me I was a fucking idiot coming down here to Dublin, a place where no one knew me, to try and start a gym in a recession when no one was buying personal training and, you know, all the rest of this. You know, if I had listened to that, I would have still been, well, I don't know where the fuck I would be today. 
So if if you're asking people for advice and they're giving you advice like that, consider the possibility that you're asking the wrong people for advice. That's what I would say. And you need to ask people for advice who are where you want to be or are a few steps ahead of you. Because when they're just a few steps ahead of you, they're in the right place to give you the kind of advice you need so that you can start believing in yourself, so that you can start, stop, well, stop thinking about what would happen if you fail. Like, stop giving that shit energy. Think different and realize what you could achieve if you weren't afraid to fail is really the, the best advice I could give. That's uh, that's huge. That's brilliant there. I can't wait to listen back to this myself. And Sean, just a, a, could have a couple of quick fire questions we do at the end. And uh, you have your Teeling's Whiskey t- t-shirt on yes. there now. So where where would be um, one of your favorite places in Dublin for a pint or a beer? Favorite places in Dublin for or a Or it could be. It doesn't need to be Dublin, wherever. Okay. Well, the only place I actually probably get to go for a pint these days is Flash Harry's, which is down the road because we had our, our Christmas do there last week. And uh, once, like usually once a month, um, I would go down with the team. We would get like a, a meal together. We would have like a burger and maybe get a beer. That's probably the, that's the, the only place I get to see. Tom, I'm, I'm a work dude. I, I come to work. I go home. I've got shit going on at home, you know, so yeah. I'm not happening. Just, I know I brought you a cup of coffee today. Is there anywhere you'd recommend where you love going for a cup of coffee, whether it's close to home or... Burr, Burr Bear Market's market. the best. Black Rock, I think yeah. Burr Market is the best. Yeah, it's very good. But you know, I, I do. I am partial to the odd mocha. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this in the fitness <laughs> podcast, right? But I am. And uh, uh, what do you call them? Oh, shit. They're in... Uh, the, the fucking name is escaping my head now. Um, it's, a, it's an Irish place. Um, Dublin? Yeah, it's it's in it's in the shopping centre, Dundrum shopping centre. Down the bottom floor. Butlers. Butlers. Butlers, yeah. They do the best mochas. Yeah, and yeah, their, their chocolates are famous. And Sean, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Where can people find you or stay connected with you? Okay, well, you, you just look me up on Facebook, Sean McGarry. I'm Sean McGarry on Instagram as well. I have to admit, I don't do an awful lot of stuff on Facebook or Instagram because I'm very busy and I have three kids and a Russian at home. <laughs> so, uh, and that takes a lot of upkeep. Um so yeah, yeah, you can find me on there or Duke on to Facebook and look at Elite Fitness and Performance Academy. Um, and the other business then is Ascension Business Coaching. So you can find me on all of those places. Listen, Sean, it's uh, been a pleasure. The nuggets and gems you've given away there. I'm excited to even listen back to the podcast. So thank you so much. Glad it was good. Cheers, Thanks, brother. Tom. Thank you. Cheers, bud.